Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we're going to be talking about the three-game road trip that the Sacramento Kings just wrapped up. I'm recording this the same night that the Kings lost in Toronto, a pretty horrible game, 124-101. to um, But I want to go back to the start of the road trip, this three-game road trip where they played in Charlotte on Friday. They played in Cleveland, a back-to-back on Saturday, and then they just played in Toronto on Monday the 13th. They came into this road trip, the Kings that is, having won their last three games. They beat the Clippers twice and the Magic. Um, You know, I, I thought those were pretty solid games against okay opponents. The Magic aren't great, obviously, but the the Clippers have been uh, decent. They've been a really good team on the defensive end. So Sacramento capitalizing on um, the game, the back-to-back games against the Clippers was promising. And I thought there was a pretty good feeling from what we had seen dur- since Alvin Gentry had taken over, headed into this road trip. Um, and the Kings really uh, shit the bed for, I-, I don't really know how else to say it. Um, Let's start with, I want to talk a little bit about each of these games, mainly play a good handful of clips from the post-game press conferences from each of these games to kind of give you an idea about, I thought there were some pretty telling things that we heard from the guys. And then also after talking about these three games, I want to, I'm going to spend some time talking about uh, the potential trades or just trade rumors that we've heard recently. You know, the December 15th deadline is closely approaching, and I think that's going to be likely the start of trade season. So after covering these three games and and going through kind of my reactions and notes from them, we're going to touch a little bit on uh, trade season being right around the corner and a little mini primer of sorts. Um, That was going to be the focus of this episode, but then as I was putting together my game plan, I realized that there was a good amount of clips that I wanted to share with you guys from these three game from the post-game press conferences from this three-game road trip, each of them. So maybe the next one or one soon here will really, really dive into trades and probably rank Sacramento's different assets that they have. But um, as for this episode, after talking about the three games and the notes and post-game pressers, I'm just going to go through the recent reportings that we've seen and also include some conversations that I've had on a different podcast I appeared on recently um, just regarding some potential targets for Sacramento. But starting with that game in Charlotte, um, the notable thing is that, again, the Kings were heading in on a three-game win streak. Charlotte was without seven different players. They didn't have LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Mason Plumley, Jalen McDaniels, or Ish Smith because they were all in health and safety protocol. Hornets are going through it right now. They just got Terry Rozier back, um, and it seems like LaMelo and the other guys are not all too far from that. But it wasn't that they had... I I don't know if they caught COVID, um, but I know they were out because of health and safety protocol is what it was listed as. So that's five guys there. And then P.J. Washington and Nick Richardson are out with a non-COVID-related illness. So that's seven guys that are not playing for Charlotte on that night. And uh, I mean, the Kings didn't take advantage of it for a lack of better way to say it really. I mean, 
Yeah, starting lineup was <laughs> yeah, starting lineup for Charlotte Charlotte was Cody Martin, Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre Jr., and then Vernon Carey Jr. Vernon Carey only played eleven minutes. Um, and then their bench was JT Thor and James Booknight. That was the primary bench because they also had two other guys that played five minutes or less. Um, yeah, JT Thor was playing center a lot of the night. We saw, yeah, extremely small lineups from Charlotte. And to give up 124 points and specifically 69 points in that first half against Charlotte is really just inexcusable. The defense was horrible. Um, Charlotte was kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted. James Booknight hardly played prior to this game, and then he had 24 points on 6 of 8 from 3 and 9 and 14 from the field in just 26 minutes that he was out there. It was really a disappointing game from the Kings, um, but they had a chance to win. This was the first game that Harrison Barnes returned by the way, and um, Rashawn Holmes is out for all three of these games, by the way. Um, anyone unaware, he had that laceration in his right eye, and the exact timeline on him returning is still kind of unclear. It doesn't seem like it's anything all too long-term, but we don't have a great idea on when he will be returning as the Sacramento Kings come back to play at Golden 1 Center here soon. But the starting lineup in Charlotte um, – was De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Terrence Davis, Harrison Barnes, and Alex Len. Uh, Terrence Davis did play well in this one, and Buddy Heald still was MIA. 19 points for Terrence Davis on 8 of 17 from the field, even though it was only 1 of 6 from 3. He had some pretty explosive finishes at the rim, and I thought some decent defense in creating transition opportunities by causing steals, um, causing turnovers more so that generates steals for his team, and he had three himself specifically. And as for Buddy Heald continuing his poor performance in 31 minutes against Charlotte, he had 15 points on two of 10 from three. Alvin Gentry got got some shit post game um, that I think was probably well deserved for really running with Buddy for a long time. When when I thought TD was playing well, I don't think he played great or anything like that. But I think that he's been the better option than Buddy for the three games prior to this one in Charlotte. And then Gentry made the decision that I want to say um, maybe four minutes or so left in the third. Buddy Heald was in the game, and he, and he kept Buddy in until pretty late in this game. And what ended up happening, um, and that was in place of Harrison Barnes, actually. I, I should clarify there. Um, Harrison Barnes wasn't closing in this game against Charlotte, which was surprising to me. And um, in the end, the Kings d still did have a chance to win this game, really on the back of De'Aaron Fox, who in 34 minutes – managed to post a stat line of 31 points and five assists, four steals thrown in there as well, and, and just two turnovers isn't great, isn't horrible. But that's on 11 of 17 from the field and one of four from three. And that was his stat line as he went up to the line with the Kings down by one point. Um, Charlotte fouled, and Caleb Martin thought that Charlotte had a foul to give. Turns out they did not. So De'Aaron Fox had two free throws at the end of the game. And all he needed to do was make one in order to tie it with about two seconds left, I want to say it was. And De'Aaron Fox was 8 of 8 from the free throw line prior to this. He went up and bricked both of them. Um, he missed both of them. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to use bricked, I guess. He missed both of them. Um, and got a lot of crap 
on social media, I think, from the fan base. And I think that's understandable. Um, but I think it's easy to forget that, like, De'Aaron Fox made the shot on the possession prior that was the only reason that the Kings were up in that game before Charlotte made free throws of their own. Um, only made one free throw. Martin made one free throw when the King when the game was tied at 123. Um, but the Kings were down two prior to that and only ended up tying it because Darren Fox hit a tough jumper. Um, I get people that were frustrated with his defense, um, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit because defensive struggles is a theme for this three-game road trip, and I guess you could say throughout the whole season, sadly, or defensive inconsistencies. But I think that um, being hard on Fox for these free throws – I don't know. I get it. You want your guy to be clutch, right? Especially your closer. Um, but I thought he was prior to this moment. Um, yeah, he played. I guess what I'm saying is it shouldn't be forgotten that he played a really good game. He was the only reason they had a chance to win this game at the end um, because he had a phenomenal fourth quarter. But missing these two free throws is obviously what stood out. And I want to share the thoughts that Fox had on missing those free throws that he. Um, spoke on post game after that loss against Charlotte. I mean, times you miss, uh, but you know, um, I know, I know um, he thought they they had a foul to give, um, and they had actually I just made two right before that, so I knew so I knew they didn't have a foul to give, and I didn't think he was gonna foul. But yeah, when he fouled me, you know, in my head I'm thinking, you know, we're gonna make these two uh, and get out of here, but. You know, back in back back rim the first one, um, and the second one, I just didn't want to back rim it, um, and I and I shortened it, I short armed it, but you know, um, yeah, you take it, you lost, then you can do about it now, and we have a game tomorrow. Yeah, um, that's about all I'm going to say on the Charlotte game. Take what you said, however you want to. Like I said, just don't forget that while you're annoyed with De'Aaron Fox for missing those free throws, understandably. He played a phenomenal fourth quarter offensively in that game. And then, he's like he said, on to the next game. That next game was in Cleveland, where the Kings were obviously playing a back-to-back um, with some decent travel involved, but the Cavs were also playing a back-to-back of their own, having just played in Minnesota the night before and convincingly beating those Timberwolves. And, my God, the showing in Cleveland was horrible. Um, the first half, the Kings just left themselves no chance to come back. Really a horrible second quarter specifically, but early on in the game, Cleveland got out to a significant lead. It was a 3-11 to 11 lead really early on. The first quarter ended 36-23 to 23 in favor of Cleveland, and by halftime, the Cavaliers, who averaged 106 points a game, had 81 points at halftime. And Sacramento was down 29 at halftime. Like, whoa. Whoa. Um, Fox, no, nobody was playing good. They couldn't play defense for the life of them. Um, I should mention the starting lineup was different in this one, despite all the same guys being available, just Holmes not being there. And then all of uh, Namiya Shikita, Lou King, Jemias Ramsey, and Robert Woodard being with Stockton. And 
the starting lineup that Gentry went with to kind of deal with Cleveland's just massive lineup of three different guys that are probably seven feet tall. Gentry went with Fox, Halliburton, Barnes, Bagley, and Alex Len. Um, nobody played good in this one. I don't know who you're supposed to highlight. Um, actually, I take that back. Nobody played good in the first half. There's no starters to take note. I think that later in the game, there was a lineup we saw that made the game they make it winnable and winnable is a stupid word that I hate using, but they kind of brought it back, right? They had a, a rally that made something seem possible. And that lineup was Davion Mitchell, Buddy Heald, Terrence Davis, Chemezi Metu, and Damian Jones. Specifically, Damian Jones, I thought played really, really good in this game. Um, he, he played 16 minutes. He only had five points and three assists along three assists, eight rebounds a steal and a block but that's just in 16 minutes um, I thought he played with great energy he was doing a good job of following his assignment on the defensive end um, and I think that's something that we felt like couldn't be said for most guys throughout the night Davion Mitchell played what I thought was really good in this game um, I think it's really telling and weird that the lineup that has a rally does not include one of Fox or Halliburton when, you know, Gentry has been very much saying he wants to stagger those guys and always have one on the floor and understandably so. Like, I think that logic is very easy to keep up with. Um, Those are the only two guys that are really able to create for others at a above average level. Um, But it's really telling that all of that previously mentioned lineup of, of bench players, Buddy, Davion, TD, Mezzi, and Damian Jones was the one to have some sort of spark in this game. And yeah, I mean, really bad game. Um, Horrible on the defensive end. They had 17 turnovers, the Kings did, which is just going to make things hard, even harder for you when you're already a team that struggles on the defensive end, having to deal with more transition opportunities from the other side. Darius Garland was able to get wherever he wanted. There were so many easy lobs and finishes at the rim. This was a game where the Kings just couldn't keep the opposition out of the paint, which is kind of becoming a theme. But yeah, 52 points in the paint for Cleveland. Sacramento did have 64 of their own, but no matter, giving up 52 um, is pretty ridiculous. A, A good majority of those came in the first half. I don't have that exact number in front of me. But a horrible game, really. Um no two ways about it. I think Cleveland is a lot better than people realize. They're 16 and 12 this season. They've played phenomenal defense. I want to say they're a top five defense in the league. Darius Garland is making his case for an all-star. Jared Allen isn't all that far away. Evan Mobley is freaking phenomenal. Like Bryant and I were obviously really big on Mobley prior, prior to the draft, but I certainly, and I don't think Bryant did either, but I'll speak for myself. I certainly didn't expect this sort of year one impact from Evan Mobley on either end of the floor. So just important to point out that Cleveland is a lot better than people realized, but it's certainly not a team that the Kings should be losing by 30 to. Um, I mean, there's no team they really should lose by 30, but I think, you know, if you were talking Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, Milwaukee, um, Brooklyn, like it'd be a little more understandable, right? Like Cleveland's not on that tier or anything. They're fighting for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference, which is saying something. Um, but still 
Sacramento should not have had this type of performance against Cleveland and falling behind that much that early in the game. Again, giving up 81 points and a half to a team averaging 106, inexcusable. Um, Yeah, we heard Gentry talk about not being able to contain guys. I asked him specifically, you know, does it feel like there's more of an issue with perimeter containment or with the rotations that are happening after guys um, penetrate? And he said, you know, to be honest with you, I think it is mainly perimeter containment. Um, And to me, that a lot of that falls on De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton not keeping their guy in front of them. I think Terrence Davis and Buddy Heald also fall into that. It's pretty much every guard except Davion Mitchell. Got to do a better job getting around screens. Um, Yeah, so here's what Gentry said post-game after the loss in Cleveland, because this was unprompted. The press conference had ended and uh, reporters were done asking their questions and Gentry decided to uh, mention this on his own before headed back. Hey, we're, we're not quitters. I can tell you that right now. So we're going to keep battling our ass off and we'll find a way to get through this. I can promise you that. It's really short, but you know, I, I think that dealing with Gentry, and again, this is only my first year doing this, so I only had, what is it, 17 games at most of Luke Walton. That might not even be right. No, I think that's about the number. Um, and then the handful of games, even less than that, that we've had with Gentry. But I, I've really enjoyed interacting with Gentry. I think that he's very well-spoken and um, more blunt in his answers from what I can see just gives you a lot in these press conferences, it feels like. And he's very quick to say that, you know, he could have done better. Like I said, after that game against Charlotte, he was saying that if anybody was going to be criticizing his decision to leave Buddy out, healed out for there for that long to know that it that's completely on him. That is completely his decision. Um, and then you hear what he says against Cleveland, that we will be better. Um, he's talked about, you know, that I've never, he's never seen a team this inconsistent. It's been about 35 years. I want to say that Gentry has been a coach in the NBA. So it's been refreshing to hear what Gentry has had to say. And, but sadly, um, after that, we were hoping to, that the Kings would go to Toronto after a day break, the last game of this road trip and have some more energy to them. We didn't see it specifically on the defensive end. Um, They lost 124 to 101. He did change, Gentry did change the starting lineup again. Fox, Halliburton, Barnes, Metu this time, and Alex Len. It's been really interesting to me that we've hardly seen Maurice Harkless when the issue's been defense. Um, I don't fully understand that one, to be honest. Um, I believe that Harkless was fully available for this game in Cleveland, Charlotte, Charlotte, Cleveland, and Toronto, actually. And, um, yeah, I asked Gentry, actually, after the Charlotte game, if, you know, um, because the game prior against Orlando, he said that they were only going to throw Harkless out there if he felt needed because he was still recovering from a knee injury. So it was kind of just like a break in case, of, in case of emergency sort of thing, but that he was fully available against Charlotte, and that means also for Cleveland and Toronto. But he's hardly played in any of these games when I think defensive sharpness, and you'll see why I use that word 
um, later has been a theme for this team. It's been lacking. So it's been kind of interesting for me. And I think it's also ironic that right after I talked about Gentry getting his first chance to establish some continuity and consistency in these lineups, that he has a different starting lineup for all three of these games. Um, no Rashawn Holmes sucks, but Alex Len was the starting center in all of these occasions. The difference went from Terrence Davis to Marvin Bagley to Chemezi Metu. Personally, I would have stuck with Terrence Davis. I thought he's played solid in these games. Um, yeah, you know, maybe I understand that he's been a little inconsistent. Uh, maybe not a little to start the year. He was pretty, pretty, pretty bad. So I understand that, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, the Metu thing is, is pretty crazy to me of just swapping between starting, getting DNPs, like it's kind of all over the place, but I don't know. I, I, I stand by my logic of a chance to establish continuity and the value that that would bring. And, you know, we keep hearing reference the beginning of the year, the team has shown what they're capable of and that's when they were healthy and there was a sense of continuity and, you know, we, we kind of felt it happening for a second and then Rashawn Holmes has gone down. I think that's caused a lot of struggles. Um, he's clearly the best defensive big on this roster. And I think on a previous episode, or maybe it was my D-Lo and KC appearance, hard to kind of keep track of where I'm saying what, I guess. Um, I probably downplayed um, how much it matters that Holmes isn't available. I think that we've seen his impact a lot in these three games that he's been unavailable for. Hopefully he can come back soon. Um, but yeah, the Toronto game was horrible. I don't I don't really know what to break down. Another night of 17 turnovers. The Toronto offense was able to get wherever they wanted. Um, I'm going to kind of let the post-game press conferences do the talking on this one. I thought that Gentry did a good job of kind of explaining what he saw as the issues in this game that Sacramento played in Toronto last of a three-game road trip and really got embarrassed again. So here's Gentry post-game after Toronto. It's... Uh... It's really difficult. To be honest with you, I really have no idea what to say. Uh, it was uh, it was just, I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, that's the only phrase that I think you can use is embarrassing. You know, we talked about the way we started the game in Cleveland and how we had to start it, how we had to start the game with the intensity that we stayed played within the third and fourth quarters. Uh, obviously, we didn't do that. You know, we had uh, four turnovers on our first five possessions. Uh, we talked about not turning the ball over. Uh, we talked about getting back on defense. And uh, none of those things really happened. And uh, so it was uh, – and, and I'll take responsibility because I'm supposed to have them pre prepared. It's my job to have them prepared. So uh, some kind of way, uh, we're going to keep plugging away at it. I just know we're not going to quit. I've never quit anything in my life, and, and, I, and I'm not going to let these guys do it either. So – uh, we got to find a way to get a group of guys that's going to compete and, and as I said, play at the, at a level that, that we're capable of playing at. And then if we do that and we lose the game, I can accept it. What I can't accept is what happened tonight in these situations. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what else to add from Gentry. I'm just going to kind of go through some of the other things that we heard post game because, it's the same issues over and over. I think Gentry did a good job of breaking it down. Harrison Barnes was the next guy given to media. The quote that stood out from him was, you know, we're we're not playing together. That's really what it boils down to. As a group, we've discussed it. And then he said, um, it's about 
that's all I'm really going to say on it at this point. You know, I, I think that there was a clear, you know, after his, as a group, we discussed it, kind of paused, hesitated. And it's just like, I don't sort of saying, I don't know what else to say. Um, we discussed it and it's the same thing happening over and over and it's frustrating clearly. So the one other thing before moving on to some trade season primer talk was, um, what Fox had to say post game against Toronto. I've seen a couple times this season that I've come to learn is uh, really an outlier, but I think that there's been some really eye-opening press conferences. And I thought that um, Fox was very passionate in this press conference and clear about, you know, that we're having the same issues and and kind of dove into those a little bit. And also James Ham did a good job asking if Fox uh, cares about winning. Um, And, Maybe that's poorly worded by me. I thought James did a really good job of approaching it. It's not James questioning it. Um, My view on it is that it's James realizing that this is being talked about a lot by the fan base or maybe other parts of media nationally. And I don't know what maybe some local guys um, saying that he doesn't care, but I think Fox addressed that as well. And James did a great job uh, getting Fox to address that. So, yeah, post game. This is De'Aaron Fox post game after the final game of the road trip in Toronto. And careful, there's a there is some language in here that I don't like to bleep out. Um, maybe you call me a little lazy, I guess, but I think that it um, fully you fully feel the passion from Fox when um, when, when you kind of lead in the language. So here that is. I mean, the thing is, it's not <clears throat> it's not about just like playing hard. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not too many people in this world that could be a lazy motherfucker and make it to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Everybody played hard to get here. Everybody plays hard when they're here. It's about, you know, just being sharp, everything that you do. Um, obviously, you know, with that second group that they had, um, you know, Toronto, there, there's no one out there that's just going to go out there and get a bucket. Um, but everything they do is quick, sharp, to the point. They know exactly what they need to do. And and they're running shit to a, to a T. You know what I'm saying? It's not too many teams in this league that are running complicated stuff. Uh, it's, it's just not a thing. Most people have a coach from a similar coaching staff and they copy whatever coach that they were under and everybody's running the same shit. So when we're out there, it's just about being sharp. Now, you know, if it's a loose ball, 50-50 ball, shit like that, then, then yeah, you know, it's about playing hard. But when you're out there and, you know, coverages, you know, your coverage ain't about playing hard. Your coverage is about being sharp. So um, when we're out there running a play, it's not about just, you know, you, obviously you want to run the play fast and, getting to your shit, but it's not about doing the play hard. It's about doing it sharp. So, you know, if, if the timing is off, that's not about playing hard. That's about being sharp. If, if we fuck up a coverage where you're not supposed to switch and you switch or vice versa, whatever it may be, it's not about playing hard. It's about being sharp. You're not giving up 130 because you're not playing hard. Jason Anderson. De'Aaron HB told us that, that you guys just aren't playing together right now. Um, I'm wondering, you know, how true is that in your mind? And and if you could zero in on why, like, is it, you know, roster like balance or construction? Is it personalities? Is there any real answer to why you guys haven't maybe played together to the extent that you would like? Um, I don't think it's, you know, just one thing. Um, Cause I think everybody on the team likes each other. Everybody gets along, you know, um, you know, we talk off the court, but when we get on the court, 
You know, we, we, we need to hear voices. We need to hear each other's voices when we're, when we're out there, not just on the bench or um, anything like that. Like, you know, when we're picking up, you know, as a guard, um, you know, you want to hear, you know, that you're not by yourself or if a screen's coming, you know what I'm saying? You want to hear that when somebody gets cracked, you know, everybody's mad because, you know, point guard might've heard nothing or somebody didn't say anything. So, you know, you just want to hear a voice behind you, whether if you're on the ball, if you're in help defense and somebody's behind you, you just want, you just want to know somebody's there. Um, and I think that gives you the confidence to either be more aggressive or whatever it may be, knowing that if you get beat, that somebody's there to help you and, and they're going to help them. They're going to help you because they know someone's behind them to help them. Um, so it's just, we, we just have to be more cohesive, cohesive when we're on the court. Um, Cause I think everybody enjoys to be around each other. De'Aaron, you're, you seem very passionate tonight. You care about winning and you care about trying to make it to the playoffs, right? I mean, I hadn't lost since I, and, and, until I got here. So I'm afraid 18 years of life, 19 years of life, every step that I played basketball, I was winning something. So I don't know how you do that, make it to the NBA, and then now you just don't care about winning. Everybody talks about, you know, if you get paid, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Nobody likes to lose, regardless of what level you're on. Um, rather, if you're getting paid or if you're playing for free, nobody likes to lose. So, you know, I, I think that's a, I think it's a dumb question. Um, obviously, you know, not to you, um, but obviously everybody, everybody wants to win. Yeah, um, really good notes there from Fox about um yeah some of the the issues that he's seen kind of with communication and not being on the same page and and trying to figure that out and obviously the the bit at the end there about him wanting to win uh being a winner all his life I think it's easy to forget that most of these guys coming into the NBA most not all have been winners throughout their entire career at um high school level specifically a lot of them in college are at least on if not you know like Davion's an exception of like a national championship team, right? But really high level college teams um, and are usually borderline the stars of those teams. So, yeah, I mean, Fox cares. I think I, I've been trying to back this up all year. I think some people kind of question it a little bit. I think everybody shows it in a different way. And Fox has been showing it. I, I mean, I get that there were some press conferences that maybe he didn't approach amazingly or have great. Uh... Yeah, I, I think that just it was him being frustrated and he expresses that in a different way. And I think it's easy for people to want their star player or anybody really to express what they their view or their idea of frustration and what frustration looks like and I think Fox has been frustrated for the poor stretches that we've seen this season it's just he shows in a different way than what it's like the traditional pissed off calling people out um, sort of way but what we've seen from De'Aaron is is him frustrated this season um, for these poor stretches and just like you heard in that clip after the third loss um going 0-3 in that road trip so right after the Toronto game I clearly heard De'Aaron caring and yeah I thought that that was important to share with you guys so 
yeah, um, pretty rough spot for the Kings to be in. They do come home and play the Washington Wizards, who have struggled in their own right on Wednesday. And then they play Memphis, who's played damn good since John Morant, even with John Morant sidelined on Friday before playing San Antonio at Golden One Center on Sunday and then uh, going on the road for a game. So have those three games coming up while they're sitting in the 11th seed, half a game behind the 10th seed Trailblazers. It's really looking like, you know, there's a top eight and then nine to 12 or even 13 if Houston is going to continue their crazy surge. They're eight and two in their last 10. Um, But yeah, Minnesota, Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio. And if if Houston does kind of crawl back in there, maybe um, it's probably Minnesota, Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio, like we've kind of known throughout the year. But yeah, it looks like I'm going to be fighting for that 9-10 spot and still, again, half a game behind 10, but also just two games ahead of the 14th seed. So pretty important basketball coming up for the Kings. Um, it, could, it could get out of hand pretty quickly. And I think that just what we've seen, there's a really good chance that the Kings are going to need to make some, some changes. Um, I want to kind of spend the next portion of this episode just talking about the reportings that we've seen recently about possible movement at the deadline um, or, or not at the deadline, but during trade season here, which is right around the corner on December 15th, the day that the Sacramento Kings play the Washington Wizards, which is Wednesday, like I said, the 15th is the day that players that were signed in the offseason are free agents that were signed last offseason are eligible to be traded. So it almost feels like the beginning of trade season. And we've seen some reporting recently on guys that could potentially be moved. And that's just what I want to dive into a little bit. There was a recent piece from Sham Sharania of The Athletic that, um, yeah, I want to share some bits and pieces because the Kings obviously are in a position where personally I'd be shocked if they didn't make a move at the deadline. I think the guys that you could see on the table, I mean, very obviously, I think Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, I think Tristan Thompson is in that conversation. If they're not going to play Maurice Harkless, maybe you try to shop him around. Um, And then I think that you listen on Harrison Barnes. I personally would listen to things on Rashawn Holmes. That doesn't mean I'm out shopping those guys, but I would listen um, and then probably stay away from anything involving De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton, unless you're kind of fully willing to reset. But Ben Simmons is the obvious name, and uh, Shams had an update on Simmons in this piece for The Athletic that uh, says, quote, the 76ers are ramping up their efforts to spark multi-team trade scenarios to move Simmons, sources said, and a fresh pool of teams has emerged as potential destinations. The New York Knicks, Los Angeles Lakers, Minnesota Timberwolves, Portland Trailblazers, Sacramento Kings, Indiana Pacers, and Cleveland Cavaliers are among the teams interested in Simmons, sources said, although it's unclear how much traction Philadelphia truly has on any move. And the other notable portion of the Ben Simmons talk in this article is, quote, the 76ers are currently asking teams for an all-star caliber player and or multiple first-round draft picks for Simmons, sources said. Um, Multiple first-round draft picks is something that Sacramento can do if they want to do an all-star caliber player. I still think De'Aaron Fox falls into that category. There's a chance that Daryl Morey views that differently. Um, I will say 
while I was just sitting here saying Fox is somebody I'd keep off the table for Simmons, I don't really hate the idea of swapping those two. Um, if it was a possibility, possibility straight up. So, yeah, I still do. I still would. I don't know. I, I hate that. I, I I hate having to pick a side when it comes to that deal. Um, I talk myself into it, but I'm happy I'm not the one making the decision when it comes to that. Either way, we you know we've seen the Kings talk about um, or we've seen a lot of talk about the package potentially being, and this isn't sourced, um, being Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley makes enough money to acquire Simmons. I, I think that it would take a lot of draft assets, two or three picks, um, probably two two picks in a swap sort of thing in order to bring Simmons onto the roster. But the talent upgrade and the fit of the roster, the roster construction and um, evenness, I guess is a way to say it, would be, or balance, roster balance, there we go, would be, um, the team would be a lot more balanced if they had Simmons on this roster, especially in place of Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. But obviously, um, that's, I'd be surprised if that's actually the deal we're talking about. I think if it was, it would already be done by now, depending on how many draft picks are being asked for. Um, Maybe Harrison Barnes is a part of that. So, but it seems likely that a three-team deal would probably be the way that Sacramento brings in Simmons, um, a young player would have to go to a different team that is giving up some sort of win now asset that Philadelphia is interested, like a Jeremy Grant, I think is kind of interesting. Um, and I'll get to Grant in a second here. Um, actually, I can, I can s- skip ahead to the portion on Grant from the Shams article. The bit on Jeremy Grant is, quote, Jeremy Grant is one of the most sought-after players in a potential trade with the Lakers and Trailblazers among the teams pursuing the Pistons' versatile forward, sources said. Grant will miss extended time with torn ligaments in his right thumb, but that's not expected to impact his trade market. Dozens of teams call the Detroit front office about Grant each week, and sources said the team is open to a possible deal. Grant has one season remaining on his deal after this campaign and is eligible for a four-year extension work up to 112 million in the offseason. Interested teams understand Grant will command most of his maximum salary in an extension next summer. And a scenario similar to when the Nuggets made the trade for Magic forward Aaron Gordon with a significant interest to complete a subsequent extension when the sides were eligible to negotiate. So Jeremy Grant is a guy that does really interest me for Sacramento. Um, paying him 28 million a year if and keeping him for what would be again that this entire season and then he also has next year as well and then after that if it were to be say this four-year 112 million dollar extension um if he would even accept that in sacramento who knows it'd be 28 million dollars a year for the next four years jeremy grant really intrigues me as um kind of the wing defender that this team needs especially when it comes to help defense, like being a weak side rim protector, um, maybe capable of being a small ball five at times, even though that's probably not his most ideal role. But um, I I think most importantly, being that wing stopper. And if you're able to have Jeremy Grant and Harrison Barnes that you're working with on this team, I think that um, it it really, again, balances out the roster a lot more. And you could do something along the lines of Marvin Bagley, uh, Tristan Thompson, and a first round pick, probably two first round picks. Again, that's probably favored towards Sacramento and maybe something that Detroit doesn't uh, specifically 
accept or or who knows how much they entertain. I'm not going to spend all too much time in this episode laying out exact offers, but just kind of throwing out general ideas and going through the reporting of guys that we've seen as available. So Jeremy Grant is a guy that does really interest me and I think would fit well um, and, and be helpful in balancing out some of these issues we've seen with Sacramento. I think that they ideally could get more playmaking from someone. Grant doesn't exactly check that box, but somebody that's able to at times create his own shot and checks all the boxes that Sacramento could need on the defensive end really intrigues me. And uh, if they were able to get some sort of verbal commitment that he'd be willing to sign a roughly four-year, $100 million, $110 million extension in this coming offseason, then he'd be around for five seasons, which I, I think is a um, obviously a big plus. So that's that's interesting to me. Cam Reddish is a guy that was also mentioned in this Shams piece um, we've heard before that this idea that the Hawks are kind of going to choose between Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and uh, Hunter seems to be favored and uh, yeah the quote from Shams in this athletic piece is quote rival teams are expect expressing interest in Hawks swingman Cam Reddish but those teams believe Atlanta seeks a first round draft pick for Reddish sources said so Personally, Reddish is a guy that does intrigue me um, a, a good bit, really. Um, you know, he, he fits this wing size that Sacramento desperately needs at 6'8". He's just 22 years old. I think that he has some creation off the dribble upside that is really intriguing and, and probably undermentioned uh, among a lot of outside of Atlanta fan bases um, last season in just 26 games, or we'll go with actually what he's done this season in 22 games in an average of 22 minutes a night, 11.1 points on 40% from the field, 37% from three on 4.2 three-point attempts a game, and 90% from the free throw line on 2.3 free throws a game. He's really promising on the defensive end. I think Cam Reddish has a lot of untapped upside that if he were to be given a little bit more leeway it could be really interesting to see what he could do with that. Would I give up this year's first round pick? Uh, probably not, given the status, the status of Sacramento's, um, just where they're currently sitting. You know, it's it, it's pretty sad, I guess. Like I pulled up Tankathon for the first time all season today, which I can't believe I did that to myself. But it only took like ten sims before Sacramento was top ten. In one of those other ten, they ended up top three. Like they're really. Yeah, I wouldn't give up this year's first for Cam Reddish, but if it could be next year's first, um, or if it was this year's first, like top eight protected sort of thing that rolled over into next year, top five unprotected or top five protected, I think that is really interesting to me. So Cam Reddish is just a, a guy to to keep kind of keep some tabs on. I, I think that yeah, could be kind of interesting. Um, the other one that. You know, obviously people have talked about a lot. It was a big reporting even prior to the Shams piece is uh, Indiana Pacers shopping around DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner. And the idea is that they want to get younger and kind of go through a rebuild that their owner was never one that was willing to do that. But now finally, um, I guess he's kind of later in his life, some point of his 80s is willing to buy into a rebuild. Um, you know, the Rick Carlisle experiment hasn't worked. They've been very boring and I believe the worst attendance percentage in the NBA. So they're kind of ready to start over. And the quote that we saw from the Shams piece is 
Pacers two-time All-Star Demonis Sabonis is expected to generate strong interest and is among the attractive players who could be available in a trade. The Suns and Kings have shown interest in recent years, sources said. So I think that's interesting. Obviously, Sacramento being directly mentioned. The idea of De'Aaron Fox cutting off of DeMontis Sabonis and also getting an opportunity to work with him in the pick and roll. We're talking about guys being sharp. And I think that Sabonis is an extremely smart basketball player. So he's somebody that's really intriguing to me. He's only making about $18 million, has this season and two more left on his contract. So he's got a uh, good amount of time if, if Sacramento or whatever team does decide to try and acquire him. I, I think that's an important factor. And there's a lot of ways that Sacramento can can make this money. You know, uh, again, if you do a Marvin Bagley and Tristan Thompson, or if they're interested in Marvin Bagley, Davion Mitchell. Um, yeah, and then obviously you'd have to throw a decent amount of first rounders in there as well. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll include Buddy Heald in any of these deals, and I have no issues. I just haven't been because I'm assuming that he doesn't have great value if potentially even has negative value. Um, so. Yeah, Demonis Sabonis is a guy that I'd be really interested in Sacramento chasing after. Uh, just kind of depends, like, what is his price tag going to be? Because I would assume it's pretty hefty, and we'll see if Sacramento is able to meet that or if they just simply get outbid. Miles Turner is really intriguing to me because I think that he might be the second best rim protector in the league after Joel Embiid. And, you know, Indiana doesn't have great perimeter containment themselves, but they've had this game plan of funneling everybody towards Miles Turner. And I think it's worked at an okay rate for them on the defensive end. Like defense hasn't been a major issue for them. Um, I, I think that they just don't have a great fit and they don't have very much half court creation. So um, yeah, getting a chance to, for Sacramento to funnel defenses or opposing offenses towards Miles Turner and that become their defensive game plan is really intriguing to me. Obviously he spaces the floor for Fox and Halliburton on the other end as well. If we're talking about a transition offense, a, a really high pace offense, if that's what the Kings still want to remain their identity, even when they change up the roster, I think that everybody we mentioned actually fits that Sabonis may be lesser. So although he's a phenomenal rebounder, which I, I accidentally skipped over and shouldn't have, um, and him bringing down rebounds and throwing ahead outlet passes is something that the Sacramento Kings team doesn't really have. So that would be Sabonis's um, impact or way he'd be felt and adding to a high-paced transition-focused team. And then as for Miles Turner, while he doesn't run up and down the court at an amazing rate or an, or at amazing speed or anything like that, he, he's certainly fine in that aspect. And I think um, being a trailer in transition is really important, especially when you're a guy that can shoot threes at a decent rate and uh, be confident throwing them up at a high volume. So Turner's really interesting to me. There was a reporting that he felt like he wants an increased role wherever he goes next. And um, maybe there's more to Turner's game. I would assume he's talking about on the offensive end. Um, makes me a little nervous because I think he's kind of fits this. He's elite in this role, but you know, we, I mean, talked about Jeremy Grant earlier. Jeremy's a Grant. Grant is a guy that I think would fit that same description during his time in Denver and then said he wanted a bigger role. So he went to Detroit to take on that role and showed that he is capable of filling a bigger role. So, and, and then there was more upside than I think some people maybe accounted for. So 
yeah, maybe Turner has that as well. The quote from the Shams article regarding Miles Turner is, a slew of teams will pursue, pursue Pacers center Miles Turner, but it will come down to the Pacers price tag on both he and Sabonis being met. It's believed to be more likely just one is moved. So, yeah. Um, and it says the Athletic reported last week that the Pacers are looking to rebuild. So, we will see. Um, only moving one of them, I think I'd love for Sacramento to possibly chase after either one of those guys. Um, it, it's going to require really, to me, a um, picks are going to be the primary incentive or, or asset that Sacramento can offer here. I'm, I'm not moving on from Fox or Halliburton for either one of these guys. I don't think for anybody that I mentioned so far, um, you know, obviously said what I said about Simmons. Um, but yeah, um, I think both of those guys are interesting and definitely names to keep an eye on. It seems like very, very likely we've heard for years that this duo of Sabonis and Turner was going to be split up or, or whispers about it potentially being split up and it hasn't happened. And uh, it seems like this is the season that it, it finally will this trade season. And the Kings specifically being mentioned is somebody who's shown interest in Sabonis in recent years. We know that they've been linked to miles Turner in years past as well. Um, yeah, not all that long ago. So I think that these are definitely two guys to for Sacramento fans to kind of keep tabs on as we approach this December 15th date, um, just right around the corner here and in the beginning of the trade season kind of kicks off all the way until the deadline. And um, the last guy that was mentioned in this Shams piece, I don't have any interest in, but I'll throw him out there just to let everybody know is uh, Kevin Knox, who yeah, not playing great. I, I don't have much interest in Kevin Knox, but the quote is from Shams, quote, sources said teams are inquiring about Knicks forward Kevin Knox, who has played in just seven games this season and has rival executives wondering the plan for the 22-year-old in New York. Knox scored 18 points, grabbed five rebounds, and made five three-pointers in 29 minutes against the Milwaukee Bucks on Sunday, his first extended run of the season. He was the Knicks' number nine overall pick in the 2018 draft, averaging 12.8 points and 4.4 five rebounds in 75 games started in 57 of them as a rookie Knox has failed to gain traction in the organization but could something change I don't really have interested in Kevin Knox um if you're talking about a second rounder sure I, I don't mind trying like he fits the positional need that that Sacramento kind of has but he doesn't hit threes at a very good rate um, I don't exactly know what Knox does well. If he played good defense at his size, Tom Thibodeau would be throwing him out there. I don't know what Knox does well. He's still 22 years old, so I don't mind if it's a cheap price trying, but I'm certainly not giving up a first-round pick for Kevin Knox. So before closing out this episode, I do want to share um, also one other team that's interesting to me is the Chicago Bulls. Um, and I just got invited onto the Bulls Gold podcast, and I can't say how much I appreciate those guys for having me on I've uh, talked with both of them previously throughout the years now that I've been covering Sacramento. And they brought me on to kind of talk about Sacramento's season, my perspective on what Chicago had been doing, and also have an extended conversation about Harrison Barnes that I think anybody here that's curious about um, how other teams view Harrison Barnes should definitely go check that out. Um, I shared my opinion and the idea of Chicago being interested is that they really lack wings on their roster. Um, they have a lot or lack forwards. I should say they have some wings like guard wings, right? A good handful of them, but they're really lacking 
forwards. And I think Harrison Barnes is a guy that fits this really well. Usually the fifth guy that they have out there is somebody like Derek Jones Jr., for example, who is not respected from three. And obviously Harrison Barnes checks that box. Um, I, I don't think that he's great on the defensive end, but I certainly think average is a fine way to say it. And being average at everything at six foot eight is going to have some serious value. And I think that when I threw out the idea on Twitter of Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. for Harrison Barnes, that people kind of were quick to be like, oh, I don't know why the Bulls would do that. And I think it's understandable if you don't step back and realize like Chicago is playing really freaking good basketball this year. And there's talk of like, potential championship contention for the Bulls. And I think it's understandable. They're playing ridiculously good basketball. They've dealt with a lot of um, COVID-related issues recently, and actually their next two games have been postponed. I think it'll be interesting to see how the league handles that situation. But the idea is, like, if you have a championship window, you need to capitalize on it because you don't know how long it will last, right? Look at Denver. Like, this year, Jokic was the MVP last season. He's played even better this year, but there's no Jamal Murray. There is no Michael Porter Jr. for the foreseeable future. So they just don't quite have the tools to, I think, be serious championship contenders like they did last year before Murray went down. Like you just don't know how long you have for these windows. So it seems like Chicago's in a window right now. If they want to capitalize on it, Patrick Williams is their asset. So I just want to play the clip here from that pod. I, I do really encourage the listeners to go check that out. Again, it's Bulls Gold is the name of the podcast that I was on their recent episode. Um, yeah, talking about all the things that I mentioned there. And I think that the most interesting thing for any of the listeners to this podcast that I'll play right now is this clip specifically talking about a trade that would be Harrison Barnes for Patrick Williams and Derek Jones Jr. and their perspective on that. So here is uh, that clip. What 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 a trade do you think would look like if let's say the Bulls and Kings approached each other? What what was something the Kings would be looking for? Um, you know, we've had multiple discussions on our show about what the Bulls could offer, but it'd be really interesting to hear on on your side uh, what you would think if in that scenario the Bull uh, the Kings would look for the future and and look to retool a little bit. Uh, what do you think they would ask in return? Yeah, I mean, I think that the primary asset that stands out to me is is Patrick Williams. Um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to pick your guys' brain on where you think that um, the Bulls are at with with Pat Will. I know that obviously he's he's down, like we talked about for most of this year, potentially um, the postseason as well. But am I right in thinking that like if there's an upgrade for the Bulls to make, it's probably got to include Patrick Williams? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um. So. As far as where the Bulls are at with him, like, we don't know. Like, AK is still kind of hard to read. He's a very, like, a lot of things that he's done so far has been very kind of surprising. Um, so we really don't know, like, how he would feel about trading his guys yet. Uh, we haven't seriously, like, obviously, when you when you were a new GM, you're not, you know, committed oh, right. to a lot of, like, the guys that you took on. So... Uh, you're you're more than willing to trade those players. We don't know how he feel will he'll feel about trading like you know his first ever uh, NBA draft pick that he took himself. We don't know that amongst Bulls fans, it's it's a pretty mixed bag. Like a lot of Bulls fans see it as okay, look, I, we love Pat. We still think Pat is going to be good, and Edward and I fall into that category. We like Pat. We think he's going to be very good one day. Uh, but right now, it's kind of we see a window here. 
uh, that those Bulls could take really advantage of. And yeah, I think he would have to be made available in a trade to upgrade, you know, at at that position. So we would personally feel comfortable giving him up. But like I said, it's just so hard to see what AK and Mark Eversley would do. And then what, you know, obviously the reaction amongst other Bulls fans is not really that relevant necessarily. It's just about what the front office would think. Yeah, I, I think Salim is spot on here. And it, it really is just about, I, I've been bringing this up on each show recently, but I always think back to the 2010-11 Bulls and how they didn't fill in the necessary holes that they had that season for their best shot at winning a championship. And they never got that close again and you can even kind of look at like the 2006 2007 bulls too when they never really added that the the low post player of a 2010 guy that everyone wanted at the time and they never really got close again to maximizing their chances so this is a special season all of the stars seem to be aligning and i lean towards like you have to take advantage of what you have right now and Patrick Williams, I think, is going to be a good player. But if Harrison Barnes can increase your chances of winning right now, I, I think that's a move you got to do while DeRozan's in his prime. Zach is really good. Uh, you know, Vooch, age-wise, is in his prime, even though he's struggling. You just have a lot of guys in their prime right now, and I feel like Barnes contributes more to that window than uh, Patrick Williams does. Yeah, again, that's uh, my appearance from the Bulls Gold podcast. I think Salim and Edward do a great job kind of, of laying out why the why Chicago would really entertain that trade, um, at least from their point of view. And I know they're not the only ones that think that. So point being, um, you know, trade season's right around the corner. Obviously, Sacramento is having these issues that we dove into at the beginning of the episode here, the first half. But December 15th is the day, again, that feels like the start of trade season, the start of potentially trades, right? When players that were free agents this past offseason are going to become available to be included in trades. So we could hear it at any point. And um, yeah, dove into this episode, some of the names that we've seen available or listed as possibly being available on the block as that December 15th deadline approaches here being Ben Simmons, Cam Reddish, Jeremy Grant, DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner, Kevin Knox. I just touched on Patrick Williams. And I'd be surprised if the Kings don't make a move as this is kind of approaching them. There's a good chance they wait until the deadline. I don't think that, you know, December 15th being here is like, we're going to see trades right away. But who knows? Really, um, it should be interesting. I think that it's obvious that Sacramento needs to make a change. We've heard, you know, we that they've shown they can be better and that they think they can get back to whatever they were when I don't know what their definition of like what what period exactly they're talking about I think it's the whole five and four start at the beginning of the season against high caliber opponents I think uh, some of the inconsistencies are due to injuries they've had a lot of injuries this year specifically since Alvin Gentry took over I want to say he's only had two games of full health Um, and aside from that he's been missing some significant players uh, Harrison Barnes Rashawn Holmes um, both have missed upwards of five games. Maurice Harkless was out for a while. Um, and then I know, uh, Marvin Bagley was out for a few games as well. So it's been kind of a, um, difficult stretch for Alvin Gentry, but we'll see. Um, yeah, injuries are just a part of it because 
all of the things that we heard from the earlier postgame clips of maybe not great effort, um, not understanding why they're not executing and, and doing what is being talked about after these some of these bad games and the idea that like, you know, one or two of these games in a row is kind of understandable going to happen throughout the season, but all of a sudden you're at three or four in a row um, and that happens a few times over, then it's like, well, I, I don't, we, we can't keep having these same issues reoccur over and over. And that's what's happened. So while injuries are part of the issue, that communication and lack of fixing things is, is another part. And, um, you know, some of the issues that we've seen on the court are due to a roster imbalance. So some trades, this season prior to the deadline for Monty McNair feel somewhat inevitable. And I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see it, how active Sacramento is in some of these names that I mentioned. And, and uh, like I said, in an upcoming episode, I'll really dive into probably ranking Sacramento's assets as trade season is just kind of rounding the corner here. Um, next episode should be after that game against Washington. So maybe I'll do it in that episode, but we'll kind of see how it goes. And, um, yeah, by the way, I have some exciting news um, when it comes to my own coverage. That is, uh, the, you'll hear soon. Um, I have an interesting project and, yeah, kind of some news. So stay on the lookout for that one. And um, obviously, I have plenty of work still going up at the King's Herald. And all the other guys there are guys and gals. Sorry to Moran and TJ. Um I'll do great work. So take a look at the Kings Herald to support local independent Kings coverage, specifically give a look to the Patreon. Um, it, it helps so much more than you guys realize. And everybody on that site puts so much work into it. So it truly means the world. And, and to myself individually, if you could subscribe, rate, and review, it really helps um, attract new listeners and let me know how you guys are feeling about these episodes. So that would be much appreciated and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's Bulls podcast like i said please subscribe rate and review and you're ever again here in the next couple of days